What's happening, guys? Thanks for being here again, checking out another episode. After about a month off, I released my last episode, and then consequently, about uh, eight hours later, realized I was sick, and I've been down for several days, but I'm starting to feel better. I'm not 100%, but good enough to be here doing another episode. So when you see this, it'll probably be a few, a few days delayed from when I normally would have released it, but now you know why. So anyway, it was uh, it was not very fun, but getting back and excited to be here doing another episode and uh, sharing some time with you. So yesterday I was uh, meeting with some friends, actually some friends that I'm I'm doing some work with, some business with, and we whenever we meet we always have some pretty good conversations and we talk about a lot of different things and sometimes we talk about faith because we share that and and oftentimes we talk about work and business and money and investing and finance and, and all the different things that apparently we all share in common and, and that we enjoy. And I just thought it might be fun to talk about some of the things that they uh, talked about with me yesterday, because I think that in the times that we're living, this stuff is, is probably more applicable and needed than ever before. And I want to preface everything by saying that I don't purport to have all the answers and I'm not sitting here today going to tell you that you should definitely do what I do or think the way that I think. Um, as I try and state often that the purpose of these videos really isn't to try and be the guru, so to speak. It's really just to share my thoughts and my viewpoints and hopefully engage in dialogues with, with people who reach out to me, uh, which does happen and it's, it's enjoyable, it's fun, and I think it's helpful for hopefully you guys and, and definitely me. And so I say all that because what we were talking about, uh, at least part of our conversation was, you know, where is there opportunity moving forward? You know, the world, and it, it has been this way for a while, but it's changing so fast. And one of the things that I've noticed is, like when you look at the older generation, maybe my parents' generation or their, gener or, or their parents' generation versus my generation or now my, my children's generation, I think one of the, one of the markers that sort of identifies the different generations in so many ways is their adaptability and their ability and willingness and excitedness to adapt to change. I know for my parents, I don't want to speak for them, but, but I think if you were to ask them, they would say that, that dealing with the constant rapid change is something that's a challenge in so many ways. And, and I think it's because when they were younger, things changed fast, but not nearly as fast as they do now. And then you go a generation before that to my grandparents and many folks that are in that genre or that age group are even more adverse to change. And it's because if you think about the change in their life versus the changes in our lives, what we're seeing is like warp speed to what they saw. And so I think that from, from my standpoint, one of the things that I've tried to do and, and to really work on is to always be flexible and always be not just not just okay with change but but really excited about or or trying to be on the front edge or the or the the front of the wave of change so to speak and and certainly there are things in your life where maybe change isn't something that that you'll ever be okay with right like if you uh if you have a faith if you're a christian you know and 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 then the culture is trying to tell you not to be a Christian. Well, well, that's a change that you're not probably going to live with, but change in terms of, you know, going from the Mac 
PC, all the, well, I guess Mac can't be a PC, but you know, the Mac desktop back in the day when I was 11 or 12 years old that had a 14, 4K modem or whatever, that one, you know, to what we see now and all the iterations in between and all the things that we've had to do and adapt to and learn and the skill sets we've had to develop in order to embrace that and take advantage of that. It's a lot of work. And I think that uh, so often people don't like the change because they don't like the work that's involved with actually adapting to the change and utilizing and take care, taking advantage of whatever that change might represent in your life. In this case, let's say a computer or technology. And, and obviously most of the change outside of the social realm has been technological change. And so we're sitting around there yesterday talking about, you know, there's these tried and true principles of investing. There's these, there's these, there's these things that we can do that have always worked to grow our money, to be more successful financially. And yet now there's, and, and there, this has always happened throughout history, but now more than ever, there's these, these technological options that people are saying are changing the game. They're changing things. And if, you know, one of my favorite things is, as you probably know, if you've watched enough of these, I think Warren Buffett is, is a mentor in the sense of, from a financial standpoint, there, there's maybe not a whole lot that him and I have in common in terms of how we view the world in general, but, but the way that he articulates his viewpoint around finance and money and investing has helped me so much in my life. And one of the things that I've always found so interesting, if you go back and you look at his track record and you look at the various sort of bull markets and bear markets, and if you're not a real finance person, a bull market is when the market's going up and it's good and a bear market is when it's bad and it's going down essentially. And if you look throughout his history of investing, what you'll find is every time there's a bull market, maybe not every time, but a lot of times there's been long bull markets. Warren Buffett's investments sort of lag the market a little bit, right? They, they don't, they're not substantially greater than what you would get just investing in, let's say the S&P 500. And the longer that those bull markets go on, it seems that the more his investments kind of lag that or, or they don't beat that. And then inevitably what happens is everyone says, oh, Warren Buffett, he's lost his touch. He's out of touch. He's too old. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. The world has changed. Technology has changed. Investing has changed. And we just need to move on from Warren Buffett. And then what happens? Well, we go into a bull market. And in every bull market, Warren Buffett destroys, like destroys the market. And, and that's where in most cases through his career, at least as I've studied it, he makes the biggest headway. He, he makes the biggest gains when, when everything that everyone thought was the, the new way to do it isn't working anymore. And I think that, that, that there's so much that we can apply from that in our own lives because yes, technology is changing and the investment vehicles, the, the opportunities we have to invest in things is going to continue to change and to morph and to, to become new or renewed. And yet the principles of investing, the principles of why we do what we do, buy what we buy, invest in what we invest in, they really don't change. And the reason being is because as I think it was Albert Einstein who said that compound interest is like the eighth wonder of the world, right? And, and, and compound interest takes a few things, right? It takes something compounding, uh, but compounding requires time. And the longer the time frame you have and the longer the window of time you have, 
the greater your, your chances of success in compounding or growing something become, specifically money. And so when, when we were talking yesterday, it's like, okay, look at technology. There, people are all on the, uh, the crypto bandwagon or the blockchain bandwagon or the, the electric vehicle bandwagon or whatever it might be. And I, I've talked about this in a previous episode, but I think what we have to really consider, at least from my standpoint, the way I view these things is all of those things are certainly, just like the internet was, these have the potential to be world-changing technologies. And then the question is, how do people like me or you or my friends that I was talking to yesterday, how do we get, how do we end up on the, the, the front side of that wave? How do we, how are we like first to market, if you will, or at this point, not first, but how can we get in early? How can we take advantage of great opportunity? Because most of us don't have, you know, 10 million or a hundred million dollars to invest in this fund that's going to be, a, or, or invest as a seed investor in one of these companies or one of these technologies, right? And so we have to figure out, well, how do we first identify which of these technologies are really going to be valuable and essential? And then how do we get invested in them? And then on top of that, and maybe more as the first part of that in terms of identifying which ones are worth investing in is what are the metrics we use to determine if these are good investments or not? And I know that there's a lot of people, I have lots of friends who have probably at this point made a lot of money in the cryptocurrency game. And I say, that's great. That's something that I haven't made any money in because I have not bought one because fundamentally I don't, I just don't see the value. I can't quantify, I should say. I can't quantify the value the same way that I would quantify the value of, let's say, a commercial real estate building or a stock, right? And, and the reason being, and so this is my perspective that I want to share today, because I'm not necessarily saying that you can't make money in cryptocurrency. You absolutely can, obviously. There's a lot of people that have changed their probably four or five generations in their family by investing their money in cryptocurrency. Okay. Uh, at the same time, I look at it and I say, for me, for my investment philosophy, for my risk profile, what I look for is I look for things that I can quantify. Warren Buffett said one, this one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, the goal of a stock investor when they're valuing a stock is to turn the stock into a bond. And I thought that was so impactful for me because if you think about it, when you buy a bond, right? when you loan, basically you loan someone money, like a business or a governmental en entity, you loan them your, let's say thousand dollars. They will tell you in the front end, how much of the thousand dollars you're going to get back and when. So let's say they're going to pay you a 5% interest rate. And for simple math, let's say they're going to pay that to you once a year. Okay. So you, you give them, well, let's say it's a hundred dollars. That's even easier. You give them a hundred dollars today. And in one year, they're going to give you a hundred dollars plus $5. They're going to give you $105. You can quantify your return on that investment. And, and that makes it easier to determine if you should invest in that or something else. That's called capital allocation. It's easier to understand where to allocate your capital if you can quantify how much of a return you're going to get on the capital, right? So when we look at, let's say a stock, let's say we're going to buy Apple stock. Our job is to say, okay, I'm not buying a bond. I'm not giving them a loan. I'm not giving them money in exchange for an interest payment. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm buying a little chunk of the business. Now, but the business 
is going to generate a profit if you buy good ones, right? And that profit, that whatever percentage of the business I own, I'm entitled to that percentage of the profit. Now, if they distribute the money to me, I actually get a check or a deposit in my account from that profit, my percentage, that I get to go reinvest or spend or do whatever. Most companies today, they don't give you a distribution or a dividend. Instead, they keep that money and they reinvest it in their business because they want to grow their business. Because if they can grow their business faster than, let's say, the rate of inflation or faster than you could grow it investing in something else, especially after being taxed for the second time, then guess what? They can compound that money, if done well, much faster, right? They can do better for you with the money they would have given you by not giving it to you and instead reinvesting it in their business. And so our job is to say, okay, well, if we tried to identify or guess, educatedly, of course, how much money this company is going to make, let's say in the next 10 years, and then how much of that money as a percentage would be mine, right? And then how much is that going to grow over that 10 years? We can sort of turn it into a bond. We can say, okay, well, if, if it's going to be $1,000 in profit today and by year 10, it's going to be $2,000 in profit and I can add up all those 10 years and I can multiply that by the percentage of, of that $1,000 that I'm supposed to own or get, then I can determine, well, based on how much I paid for the stock in the first place and how much I'm going to get over that 10 years, I can calculate an annual return. It's essentially turning that into a bond. It's the same thing with real estate, right? Maybe not so much single family residential. It's a little bit different. It's not quite as nuanced on the finance side, at least in most cases, when you're just buying an individual or a few of them. But when you look at, let's say, an apartment building or a retail or an industrial or an office building, what we're doing is the same thing. We're saying, if I had a million dollars today and I wanted to invest the million dollars, and let's say I needed to make at least 10% per year, okay? Well, then what I know is, is that in the first year, right? If we were just doing a straight line return where I needed to make that every year, then in the first year, if I put in a million dollars, right? I would need to get, after all my bills were paid, $100,000 back, right? And I would need to get that every year for 10 years. And if I did it well, it wouldn't just be, well, let's back up. Maybe it wasn't a straight line where I had to get that every year. Maybe the first year I only got 60, but maybe I could anticipate based on some educated, I don't know, it's not really guessing, but some, some educated math and some projections, I could estimate that by year 10, if I started out only making 60,000, but by year 10, I could make 150,000, then the average of those might still get me to my 10%. So the, the, the whole point of all that is if you're investing, there should be a target that you're shooting for. Because I think so often we just invest in things because it's like, oh, this is great. There's a ton of upside. I don't have any idea what it is. I can't quantify it, but I, I saw somebody else do it or I'm really excited about it or I'm emotional about it or whatever, so I'm gonna do it. Um, that, that can be done. I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm just saying that it, it's always better, I think in my personal opinion, to have a goal, a target that you're shooting for. And so once you have a goal, let's say your goal is ambitious. Let's say your goal is I want to make 15% a year on my money. Well, you know, it makes it really easy because then anything that's only going to pay you five or six or eight or 10 or 12, you basically can just write off and, and you don't even really have to spend any time on it. And then you're really only spending time trying to identify opportunities that will, you know, reasonably get you the 15% a year on your money. And so I say all that to say with cryptocurrency, it's very challenging to do that. Same with any currency really, or any commodity for that matter. Because 
and, and commodities are a little different. So let's stick to, let's say, the cryptocurrency. They don't actually produce anything, technically, right? Like one of the things we talked about in our conversation yesterday was, if you think about it, let's say you bought a farm and let's say you couldn't buy or sell the farm for 10 years. Let's say that the, the, the sales market just disappeared. It's like, well, would you care? Because if the farm had the animals or the grain or whatever it was gonna be, excuse me, that continued to produce every single year, that you could continue to sell in that marketplace every year, that would continue to generate a return for you every year, would you care if you couldn't sell it? Probably not, right? Because it's generating a return every year that you are getting to benefit from. Now, if the cryptocurrency market closed for a year, it's not, with the exception of if you're farming it, you know, the, if, you're, if you're doing the farming side, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, but if you're just holding the currency and the market closed for 10 years, it would be a little tricky because it's not producing anything for you that's tangible in the meantime. Even gold, let's say, if, if the gold market, in terms of us buying and selling gold from each other as, as sort of stores of value, if that market closed, well, guess what? There's still gold needed in jewelry and in uh, circuit boards and in electronics and things like that. Now, it would affect the price, certainly. But the point is, is there's something still usable about it. There's still something you can do with it. There's still a need for it in society. Cryptocurrency is, is at least today, not that way. And so from my standpoint, for me personally, it's like, well, if I can't quantify what this thing is worth based on what it produces, then, then personally for me, I just don't buy it. Because there are other things that I can with more certainty quantify in terms of what I can expect to get from them that I personally choose to allocate my capital into those things instead of something that I can't quantify. And so I'm not saying that you should do one or the other. I think that for me, for the way I do things, my way is the right way for me. I'll let you decide for you based on maybe what you've learned here today and maybe some other things that you've picked up along the way. However, with all that said, what we know is that digital currencies are the future. And hey, for those of you uh, maybe who aren't Christians, the, the Bible has said that for a long time, right? Uh, but anyway, that's another point for another day. So crypto, or excuse me, digital currencies, they definitely are the future. And, and, and blockchain technology, definitely the future. And so our job, right, as investors is to try and look out there and identify where are there going to be opportunities. And like what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger would say is you want to stick within your sphere of competence. And so in some ways, part of why I don't invest in cryptocurrency is also because I'm, that's not my sphere of competence. I, I, I think I understand it to a reasonable degree. I've watched lots of YouTube videos on it. I've listened to things. I've sat on calls. But, but yeah, there's still certainly a part of it that is outside of my realm of competence. But I also see the applicable value in the technology, specifically, uh, excuse me, blockchain. So let's say in the real estate business, right? When you look at title insurance, when you look at the, the, the deeds that we essentially get when we buy property, and when we look at sort of making sure that when you buy the property, that there's not somebody else that has a claim to that property because of something that happened in the past, that's what you buy title insurance for. Now I can see the value of a blockchain technology as it would affect and as it would sort of solidify chains of title for real estate. And I'm going, geez, like, how do I get on the front end of that wave? Because, because if you think about whether it's a, a car title, whether it's 
I think more valuable in my mind, at least is real estate title. These are huge opportunities. Like, like to change the title business in the real estate world literally would affect the whole world. And, and not a lot of people pay attention to title insurance because a lot of people don't even know what it is, even real estate agents. And so it kind of flies under the radar. I think that's a huge opportunity. And I don't necessarily know yet where those, where, which technology companies are on the forefront of that, but I'm gonna find out because while I don't necessarily have any desire at this point to invest or speculate in the cryptocurrency world, I definitely see the application and the value and the potential to change an entire industry in the blockchain in real estate. And obviously with blockchain, if you've paid any attention to it, there are hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe 10,000s, tens of thousands of situations just like that, that blockchain technology will affect. And if you think about it, which is a whole sidebar that maybe some one of these days I'll have somebody come on and talk to me or talk with me about is, is blockchain is like the decentralization tool, at least in my mind, that is so desperately needed. So like on one hand, you have the government trying to centralize everything, like with the new vaccine passports that we're hearing about. That's they're trying to centralize, just like they've done in China with social credit scores. They're trying to cent centralize this power and information. And yet blockchain technology is trying to decentralize power. And it will be very interesting, I think, for us in our, in our lifetimes to watch how governments battle with blockchain technologies because the very thing that most governments want, which is more control over their people, is the very thing that blockchain technologies take away by decentralizing things. And if you actually think about it, like America, the way it was founded, the way it was supposed to work, which was federalism, right, was sort of a decentralization. It was like most countries in the world throughout history had always been run by a central government, a king, a dictator, whatever, right? Then, or even a federal government, right? Then America comes along and says, no, we're gonna give power to the states. That's a decentralization. That's saying like, hey, we're gonna let you over there decide how you wanna live because you might have different values and culture than we do over here. We're just gonna work underneath the umbrella of a, of a sort of not super powerful at the time as it was envisioned federal government, right? That's decentralization. And it worked really well in a lot of ways till we started screwing it up. Again, another conversation for another day, but that's what's happening in the technology world. We are decentralizing. We have the technology now to decentralize even things like bank card transactions, right? Like you swipe your credit card and instead of one or two, I think it's just a few processors that are out there that are actually handling all those transactions, very centralized. Now we can decentralize that across literally millions of machines all over the world, right? It's, it's amazing. And so I think that when I look at the future, I look at things like blockchain technology, how is that applied in your sphere of competence, in your area of expertise? Where can you sort of dive in and, and keep an eye out for opportunities to invest or, or even not even invest, but maybe to work in those environments? Like if you think about it, a lot of people who got really rich from Microsoft or Google or Amazon or any of these big companies weren't necessarily early stage investors, but they were actually also early stage employees. And so there, that's another thing to look at is maybe you don't have a lot of money to invest in these companies. Even for me, like I don't have enough money to be a seed investor in any of these technologies, but maybe I could align my business with them. Maybe I could uh, 
consult for them. Maybe I could work with them. Whatever it might be, there's opportunities out there that we can find or create to attach ourselves to those opportunities. I think another one is the, the 3D printing. And not just 3D printing, but like 3D design. I was telling the guys yesterday, it's like, I like to build furniture and little projects in my free time, which I don't have enough of, but I've always tried to gra uh, draft these things like on graph paper, right? And I'm just not a very th good 3D drawer. I frankly suck at it. And so it's always made my projects a little more difficult because it's hard for me to like draw it in 3D so I know exactly how much material I need and I know exactly how the parts are gonna come together and all this stuff. So while I was sick, I'm laying around in bed, I got nothing I can do, my head hurts, I'm stuffed up, you know, all those things, sore throat. And I'm like, okay. And I got a couple projects I'm trying to do as we finish our house. And I'm like, you know, there's gotta be a solution to this on an iPad. So I'm searching around for, you know, a 3D app, kind of like SketchUp, but for an iPad where I can use my pencil and all that stuff. And lo and behold, they have one. It's called Shaper 3D. Maybe you've used it, maybe you've heard of it. Anyway, I download it. I watch like 30 of the videos. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an absolute game changer. And so I start tinkering around. And within a couple of days, I've got, you know, four or five projects that I'm working out, literally drawn, mapped out, shown in 3D to the point where if I wanted, I could literally export those into something that would tell me, here's what you need of each thing. I'm not gonna go that far because for me, it's just more of a visual thing, but I'm just sitting there going like, wow, if I have a little kid, which I do, and I'm looking at like, where can I guide them so that they have an opportunity to be successful in the working marketplace in the future? Wow, this is a, a great opportunity. Like I have a daughter and she thinks, maybe I wanna be an architect someday. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna get you using this right now because you're almost 10 years old and definitely you could do this. Like, and I'm just like, my brain exploded at the, like my creative juices just started flowing because for the first time in my life, I could actually draw the thing I was thinking about in a way that made any sense where I could tweak it. And, and I'm like, this is technology and the hu literally ex expanding the human mind in ways we've never ever even imagined. And I know for people who are in this space, you're probably like, yeah, we've been doing that for years. But what I'm talking about is potential mass adoption of something that literally can bring creativity and, and, and totally change the game for like millions of people. And I think that that's a huge opportunity. Uh, and I, I think that it's, it's a fun thing. Like it can actually help society. It's kind of like Microsoft. Microsoft and, and, and Word and the early Internet Explorer browser, all that stuff literally changed the world. Like it literally millions of people, billions maybe of people around the world use the product. It's created huge, huge value for society. And I think these other technologies are like that. And, and I think part of it is like when I think about my child and where I would guide them and direct them in terms of sort of their focus and their mindset, I, I always go back to what creates the most value for society that also is complemented because in your life because you are gifted in it, right? Like if you love design, if you're a designer or a creative, it's like find areas in society where design is needed and valuable and go into that, right? Or, or if it's the, the technology stuff that I've been talking about, like if you love coding or whatever, well, go find an area where the code that you're gonna develop generates 
enormous amounts of value for society. And the more people that you can create value for, the more successful you will be. And I think that's, as I've said over and over on this show, one of my biggest beefs and pet peeves with the Americans today is a culture, is the poo-pooing of business. When the reality is like, you go to any country, any country where business is no good, and guess what? Life in community is also not very good. People are starving, people are depressed, all those, like when you don't have work, when you don't have thriving business culture and community, it's not good for anybody. So I think what we need to do in America is instead of poo-pooing business and poo-pooing opportunity and growth and investment, all the things which we need in order to keep the society going, what we should be doing is we should be encouraging it. And we should be helping people realize that, listen, if you're going to go into business and if you're going to take the risk and if you want the reward, that's all great. You should, that's what we need. That's what we want to encourage. That's what we want to incentivize. Not tax, incentivize. And at the same time, we need to be teaching that next generation of entrepreneurs that it's not just a self-serving endeavor. Don't just do it because you want to make money. Don't just do it because you want to serve yourself. Do it because you want to find a place where you can add the most value to society, to your community, to your neighborhood, whatever, and, and let that be your guiding light. Let the guiding light in your business life be, how do I add the most value for other people, which is called service, that I possibly can? Because if I do that well, most of the other things will take care of themselves. And if we can do enough of that, then we can start to change the conversation and the language and the culture and the dialogue around business and entrepreneurship and success and all those different things. Because we've allowed it to be hijacked and turned into something that's totally the opposite of that in so many cases. And so anyway, I know I kind of digress there, but, but I think that when I'm looking around and, and I'll, I'll have more of these conversations and I'd, I'd really like to start getting some folks on the show who are in these different arenas. So if that's you, if you're watching this and you're like, I understand cryptocurrency, I understand blockchain, or I understand the 3D, uh, the printing and the design and what, wherever these opportunities might be moving forward, these things that might, not, not just might, but probably will and are changing the world. I'd love to have a conversation with you about them. I'd love to talk to you about them. Uh, I'd love to share with the people who watch this show your expertise and, and kind of dialogue and, and, and maybe debate a little bit about the different parts of those opportunities. So anyway, to wrap this up, I would say that for me personally, I'm looking around saying, yes, the world is going to continue to change faster than we've ever seen. And with that change, we have two choices. One choice is to be afraid and unwilling to change, or maybe not unwilling, but where we don't desire to change, where it's like this friction. The other is to embrace it and to look for opportunities that exist within it. That's the choice I'm going to make, right? And I think that's what you're seeing in culture today. It's like the people who think they can and it's possible and then the people who think they can't and it's not possible and there's a, they're always a victim and there's always a reason they can't. And like, I've been a lot, around a lot of those people in my life and I've been around a lot of the other people. And I, listen, it always makes more sense to choose the I can and it's possible route, always. It's the only way to change yours and my future. It's the only way to change the tra trajectory of our lives and our families and our communities. And so I look at it, I say, I'm gonna continue to look for opportunities where I can find a way to grow and to change and to mature and to succeed. Now, I'm also going to look for opportunities where I can most assuredly or with the most assurance 
quantify the risk and the reward. Because here's the last thing I'll say on the investment side. People always talk about their returns. Oh, this return 12% or this return 20% or this return 100%. And that's all fine. But what we really should be talking about is what is the risk adjusted return? Because just comparing return to return is not apples to apples. It's like apples to oranges. But when equating for risk and then comparing your returns, then you're comparing apples to apples. Let's say you buy a 10-year treasury from the United States, right? You know that there's, well, maybe not so much now, but let's say 10 years ago. You know that at least in the eyes of the global marketplace, there's very, very little risk in that. And let's say at the time they would pay you 3%. So you give them $100, you get $3 back, and you know you're going to get $3 with very little risk. Over here, you can invest in, let's say, this new coin that just came out. And you could also invest $100, right? But you could also make $100 or $200 or $1,000, whatever, right? However, with the treasury, let's say you had a 0.2% chance that that thing would fail and you wouldn't get your $3. Well, the simple way to do it is just take 3% and then take 99.8% of that and say, well, that's sort of the risk-adjusted, this is how I think about it at least, that's sort of the risk-adjusted return that I would, would get. But let's say over on the coin side, you, let, let's say we picked all the coins in the world. I don't know how many there are. There's a lot. And then let's say how many have succeeded, how many have failed. And let's say it's, I don't know, let's say it's two out of 100 succeeded. So you take your upside of, let's say, 100%, but you only have a 2% chance of succeeding, right? So then you could just do the math equation. You say, well, when I compare those two things, there's a risk-adjusted return that I'm comparing. And so then you just have to decide, well, where is your risk worth taking versus not? And so what I always tell people, and I think for myself, maybe not in the crypto space, but in others, is especially if you're young, like, listen, you have the capacity, and I'm not giving you investment advice. This is just my opinion um, for myself. But we as younger people have the ability to take a little bit more risk with a little bit more of our money. And then as we get older, right, most people will start taking less risk unless they have a lot of capital, then they'll continue to take risk and probably be rewarded uh, for that. But so you can take a lot of risk or a lot more risk with more of your money if you're younger, right? So you should be at least to some degree, most likely, right? You got to talk to your financial advisor, but, but your financial advisor would probably tell you that with some of your money, you should be making some riskier investments, some riskier decisions. And then you should have some things that are not so risky. For us, we do that all the time. A lot of our investment dollars are focused in the real estate business. And a lot of people would say, hey, that's not very smart because listen, that's like having all your eggs in one basket and if real estate changes and this and that, and, and, and there's some truth to that. But the flip side of that is, but if you could invest in real estate and let's say you know you can return yourself 20% a year, it doesn't make a lot of sense to take a whole bunch of that money and put it into something that's gonna make you 4% a year because even if you had two things go wrong in your real estate deals, if one of them continued to work at 20%, right? You're probably still beating what you would, would be doing over here. And so from my standpoint, personally, this is just me. I'm not telling you what to do. I look at diversification a little bit differently than probably a lot of people do because I don't think that, and I think if you actually look at the data, like being really diversified, um, 
actually, I don't think generates as good of a return as like picking a horse or a few horses that you're very confident in and riding them. Uh, that's just me. That's how I do it. You don't have to do it that way. But anyway, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think that regardless of what's going on in the world and how completely insane it continually seems to get more and more. So I do think that there's going to be opportunity. I think that these kinds of conversations are going to be fun to have as we go forward. Hopefully you found something helpful in here. If you did, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, you could leave a comment. You could send me an email, text me if you got my phone number or whatever. Uh, but I'd love to, to have that conversation with you. If you'd like to be on the show and, and have a conversation that we record, that'd be even better. Let me know because I'd like to start having people on here. And I know I keep saying that, but I've just been real busy. I got to get my house done. I got to get moved. And then once that all happens and my life is sort of normal again, I can put a little bit more time into getting people on here. So just give me a month or two on that. Uh, but if you like this show, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that like button, the thumbs up wherever you're watching it, uh, or leave a comment, subscribe, whatever you might do, share it. That would be awesome if you could share this because I think really sharing is how it gets out there and, and spreads to more people. So anyway, thanks again for watching. Had fun today and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks.